they had a preaching competition for young people growing up. And so I was at one of those competitions one time. They, they called it like developing a gift, but it was a competition. Trust me, the parents felt like it was. And I was supporting a, a young lady who was preaching and, and, and she was really a talented speaker. But when people start out preaching, they're like really hardcore. I mean, it, it, the younger, I was that way when I started out, I was just like blasting everybody. And that's just, just, just very common uh, of young preachers. So she was, she somehow got a hold of this statistic that, that talked, it was a really depressing statistic. It said that, you know, every, every minute, so many people die. And so it was something like this, you know, every minute, every minute that we live, a hundred people are dying and going to hell. I was like, man, that's really, really, I'm not sure if all that's true the way she's saying it, but I'm like, what a dark way to, to preach a sermon. And then she said something really interesting. She said, I don't even know why I'm preaching this sermon right now. I should be out in the streets sharing the word. And I thought to myself, well, you're preaching the sermon because you entered a sermon competition. <laughs> And, and that's kind of, I mean, if we, if we take that logic, we wouldn't do anything. If we, if we took that logic, we, we would just be irrational human beings who never did anything except witness. And, and that's the logical conclusion. And that's why I'm glad Jesus lived his life because he showed us a different way than the way we may irrationally live. He was an example to us and showed us how to live. You know, after that little sermon, we all congratulated her and we did what Christians do. We went to a restaurant and nobody witnessed anybody. It's interesting that a lot of times the, the banter we have doesn't match the lifestyle that we live. And when I think about that, it always has made me a little uncomfortable that we have this spiritual busy work that is often motivated out of some type of guilt, but not out of a dynamic friendship with God. So I've always been uncomfortable with the frantic pace of evangelical Christians, or at least the pace they claim to have when they preach, not necessarily at the restaurant. By the way, if you're gonna witness to someone, don't start with the waiter because they're like paid to be nice to you. They're wanting a tip. So uh, go witness to someone else first. And, and, and then, you know, our poor hairstylists and servers, they have to listen to Christians witness because uh, they're stuck and they want a tip. So, I mean, God cares about those people too, but it's much better if you witness to someone that isn't trying to get um, a tip from you later. So, Evangelicals, we've had this frantic pace of life. I'm so glad Pastor Jacob is addressing this stuff Thursday. And when I look at the life of Jesus, he was not frantic. He lived 20 years in obscurity or 30 years in obscurity, excuse me. And in his sovereignty, he chose three years to have a ministry. And in those three years, Jesus went to weddings, dinner parties, spiritual retreats, fishing expeditions, and he had unstructured time with his father. Here's the title of my message this week and it's gonna go into next week also. Relaxing in the midst of chaos. 
And I wanna tell you that we live in a chaotic world right now. What's great about that statement is that there, there's a hundred different reasons why y'all think the world is chaotic. <laughs> so I can just say, we live in a chaotic world right now and you're thinking of a hundred different things in here, but it's true. The intent of this week's message and next week's message is to prepare you for the holidays, which is part of our rhythm as Americans and more importantly, as Christians going into Advent. And I want you as your pastor, I want you to hear this. It is okay to relax and enjoy yourself the next two or three months. It's not unspiritual and you're not doing anything wrong. You're actually doing what Jesus set the example for. I want you to breathe a little easier to know that the customs we have and the the rhythms we have are gifts of God. They're not something evil keeping us from duty. There's something that is infusing. I give you a point before I give you the scripture, which let me just move on. Number one is this, Jesus relaxed, so should we. So maybe if you're a person who never relaxes, maybe you're more spiritual than Jesus. Mark talked a lot about Jesus and kind of the way he thought. And Mark's gospel is such a, such a gift. It's a fast paced gospel, but yet within that, from, from my experience of reading the gospels on a daily basis is, is that Mark, even though it moves very quickly, it gives a lot of pause points and it gives a lot of insight into Jesus and his lifestyle. So Mark chapter six, starting with verse verse 31 today. And he he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Now, some of you, that's God's word to you today. And I hope that just feels good to you. This is Jesus said, "Come, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Now you can feel the busyness here, the chaos. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. So I wanna tell you this, Jesus is big enough for you to relax. God is sovereign enough for you to do something mindless are frivolous, not all of the time, but at appropriate times. We live in a world that is suffering. So God needs you to have a rhythm in which you laugh. No doubt there's some of you out there that you need to be more serious at times. There's a very small percentage of you that like are never serious. And and so be serious when you need to be serious. But the inverse is true. Some of you need to be a little more silly, a little more often. The burden of winning the world to Christ is not our responsibility as much as it is our invitation. We are told to go, we are told to tell, we are told to invite, we are told to serve, but God saves. And God grows the church. The scripture is crystal clear about that. 
And so we go and we serve and we love and we give and we look for opportunity, but we, we don't minister and live out, out of this, this burden that God doesn't want us to have. There's a center we have from which everything flows. And his name is Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit and the scripture and the love of the Father, all of that is our center. It's not our addition. It's not, it's not something we compartmentalize. It's the middle of everything. So one of my favorite authors, he said it this way, his name's Richard Foster. And he said, life from the center is a life of unhurried peace and power. It is simple. It is serene. It is amazing. It is triumphant. I don't see in that quote, of course, that's not scripture, but I don't see in that quote weakness and I don't see retreat. I see triumph. I see power, but the simplicity of letting God be the center of our lives in an unhurried pace, trusting his sovereignty, trusting his power, participating with him, partnering with him and thinking for the long haul. We're in it forever. (laughs) We're not just in it the rest of our life. We're in it forever. We are walking with God and partnering with him. There's a compliment I hear young people give a lot when they like someone else. I'll say, how do you like Johnny? Or maybe, how do you like Carson? That's a more modern name for younger people. How do you like Carson? Well, they don't say, well, he's nice or he's smart or he's successful. A high compliment from young people, they, they, will, they will say, Carson is chill. <laughs> okay, he's chill. Maybe it's cool, modernized, I don't know. And probably I'm behind the times now by the time I figured it out. So, so I thought about that term, what does it mean to be chill? And I've given my own stab at it is speaking of a non-anxious presence. Someone comfortable with themselves, someone without an agenda, someone content in the moment, a non-anxious presence. Here's my second point. I've already made it, but I'm gonna tell it to you again. Jesus had a non-anxious presence. I mean, he, He was comfortable with himself. He was God. He was in the moment. He was in control. Jesus wasn't so fixated on earthly outcomes like we are that he failed to model to us solitude and rest. So I'm telling you, don't don't do what I do. Do what Jesus did. You're going to discern inconsistencies in my life, go back to the gospels and look at Jesus. And and I'm telling you, he is our example here. So he did some crucial teaching and it was some huge doctrine and some huge principles he established with his disciples. It was a high octane time. And now I want us to go to chapter seven of Mark. After all of this teaching in verse 24, it says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. And he entered, he entered a house. Now look at this part. This is a phrase that just amuses me kind of. Not wanting anyone to know it. But he could not escape notice. 
Now, as that chapter unfolded, they found him and he jumped into a bunch of ministry because out of his love. But we get a revelation of Jesus's mindset and intention there that he knew that there was, there was time of engagement and there was time of withdrawal. And, and he did that as an example to you and I. That reminds me when I went on sabbatical one time, I really debated like, should I get a burner phone? Like a phone that like, no one else knows my number. And I, I was kind of excited about that concept. You know, Beth was like, you don't need a burner phone. I, don't, I, think, I think people were, I think, well, I, I don't know. I didn't have time to organize it. And, and, but I was just like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm so important. I need this special number so the masses will leave me alone. But I never got around to doing it. And about 10 or 12 days into my sabbatical, no one had tried to call me, man. <laughs> I guess I saved me some money, but it also kind of knocked me down some notches. It's also was an indication of an awesome church this is because I, I am accessible and people at that time withdrew as a, as a strategy to help me. Verse 24 it was crazy. He did not want anyone to know it. He, this idea of like, I'm going to intentionally withdraw. And so my point of saying all of this is, this term now that we've adopted in modern language, self-care, it's okay to refresh yourself and take care of yourself. I want you to have um, great holidays coming up without living under false spiritual gift, knowing that the Lord has given you the gift of the season. And however your life is structured, I recognize some of you might work more during Thanksgiving and Christmas. So you're like, this, is, this sermon doesn't apply to me at all. I get that. But hopefully after Christmas, you'll have some time because you're going to need it at some point, whether it's January or whatever it is, however your life is structured. Now, I love to travel with planners when I don't have to plan. I'm a, I'm a pretty organized guy, but I'm not like the best at it. But some people are the best at planning and um, Chip Johnson, our pastor who just left, this guy makes a spreadsheet for his family vacation of exactly where he goes. And, um, and, and my sister used to do that too, Shelby. She was awesome at it. Then everyone ridiculed her. And so she's just like, fine, you people, um, you're on your own now. But I used to love it when Shelby would do that because, because I didn't have to worry about the next thing. I mean, she's she said, you know, we're going to leave at this time. We're going to eat here. We're going to leave again. We're going to eat again. Isn't that kind of vacation? We're going to leave again and put dessert in there. And, and she had the mileage, she had the mileage planned and even knew, you know, read the websites of special sites to find the hour and things that kids would like and the adults would like. It was great. So you just, you did the activity and you enjoyed it. And then where are we going next, Shelby? I miss those days. It doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I trusted the plan and I trusted the timing of the plan so I could enjoy the ride. I could see things and notice things and not be preoccupied with the future because someone had already planned the future. Here's my third point today. Jesus trusted the father's plan and timing. The father had a plan. The father had a time for the plan. And Jesus trusted that. 
Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 1. And after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. So there's some strategy here. And the Jewish festival of shelters was near. Verse three, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. They're, They're trying to be consultants to Jesus. If you do these things, show yourself to the world for even his brothers believe, even his brothers believed in him. But Jesus told them, here's something really interesting. My time has not yet arrived. Jesus knew there was a timing, there was a development, there was a plan, there was the father was doing something in him. The new King James version uh, rephrases this just a little bit different. It says, and Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. And I wanna just, this to be encouragement to some of you. If some of you have ideas and dreams and stuff inside of you that you want to do, but it's not, your time yet, that's okay, that's okay. Your time hasn't come yet. Jesus waited on the Father, so can you, so can I. And occasionally I've said that over the years. I said, well, my time's not come yet. It's not, it's not, it's not my time yet. I remember a few years ago, they were doing some kind of prayer meeting downtown, getting all these pastors together. One of my friends was organizing it and I could tell he was trying to work me into the order of service because we were friends, but those type of ecumenical, or not ecumenical, but multi-church gatherings um, just get really long because three minutes here, three minutes there, three minutes. And he, and, and he was trying to work me in and, 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 and I just said to him, it was kind of a reflex. I said, Bob, don't worry about it, man. My time hasn't come yet. You're trying to be nice to me. Don't try to be nice to me. Put the people on that you want to be there. And someday when you really, really want me, you can make me the prime speaker. Just joking. Nowadays, I don't, that would be too much like pressure. So I like talking to you guys. I don't need to talk to other people. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 helps us with the anxiety we feel towards the end of the world. Matthew 24, verse 36 says this. Now concerning that day and hour, Jesus said this, no one knows except the angels of heaven, nor the son, except the father alone. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus has called us to live waiting for his return. That's what all Christians have done for the last 2000 plus years. We are to anticipate the return of the, of the Lord. But you trying to guess when Jesus is going to come back will not make him return any quicker. He is on his own schedule. The father in that relationship with the Trinity is on his own schedule. So I've seen that. I remember clearly in 1988, I was pretty young, 13 years old. And um, they said Jesus was coming back in 1988. 
I was like, man, I'm going to miss high school <laughs> and college and marriage. All the older people in the church were so excited about this possibility, and I was so bummed out. And since that time, every time, there's reasons for this, every time the decade, the year ends in an eight based off 19. I just want you to know that he's going to come back when the father decides. And us trying to guess and figure out what Putin's doing and what's going on, you know, what's going on in Israel. It's not going to make Jesus come back any quicker. So we live waiting for the Lord's return. And it's not being aware of the news. It's being aware of our hearts. If you want the Lord to come back and you're looking for his return, establish a devotional life. Try to read your Bible three or four times this week. If you're waiting for the Lord to return and you're married, build a family, meaning build your marriage. Or if you have kids, raise your kids. Develop a career so that the Lord can use your gifts fully until he returns. More importantly than those earthly things, and they're not earthly things, they're connected to heaven, but open yourself up to the transformation of the heart. If you seek him, you'll know him when he returns. And that's what it's about, right? It's not about, I was right and Aaron was wrong. Some of you are like, you just don't get it, Aaron. You're gonna get left behind just because, or something like that. Lord forbid that to happen. I don't want that to happen. But I'm just saying that, that it's our hearts he longs for. He longs for our hearts. And we can do that in any year, at any time, at any place. In Acts chapter one, Jesus said this, you'll see what he says. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Are you bringing revival, Lord? A renewal? By the way, revival doesn't last very long. I started studying revival and they're usually like really short, very, very short spurt. So we just want God to keep us vibed instead of revived. I'm looking for Bible, <laughs> which is like consistent life in the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. I haven't used the word Holy Ghost in a long time, but that just came on out. I went King James on you guys. <laughs> Lord, send Bible to us. The Zoe, the life of Jesus that's in us when we participate in the kingdom of God, it's here right now. We have so much life. We don't need revival because revival is happening. And so Lord, when are you gonna restore verse six, the kingdom of Israel at this time? Of course, this was more a geopolitical type of thought process here. In verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set for his own authority. He doesn't want you to know when he's coming back. He wants you to be ready when he's coming back. So he could come back today. Maranatha. I'm old enough now to really mean that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But I I care for the next generation and I I want to see them have that fullness. I want to see more people come to know Christ and come to know who he is. You tend your heart and let God tend 
to the universe. You know, there's a national issue that I'm really passionate about. And I'm really concerned right now with this issue for our country. Do you wanna know what it is? Well, you're not gonna find out. (laughs) Because it's not necessarily a biblical issue what I'm talking about. I don't have any problem talking about biblical issues. It's my opinion on public policy. So like everyone does, I was ranting to my wife, Beth. So, and I was just, just, just spewing this stuff. And so she sat there and listened to me. And by the way, this was like four days ago. This wasn't like five years ago. And she, she listened to me and very quietly. And she said, you know, there's like a black cloud over you right now. So just, just relax. Says God's man of power and faith receiving counsel from my wife, I said, well, you know what? You've got a black cloud over you all the time. (laughs) Actually, I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that (laughs) because I was immature. But that's what we do, right? We get defensive. And she said some things to me. She said, it's going to be okay. I was, I was worried about you guys. I'm like, how's this gonna affect people in our church? And she said, God's gonna take care of his people. He's gonna take care of his church. And she said, and this is not your responsibility. Again, she was speaking truth and it ticked me off. Then as I sat there, I started remembering all the stuff I preached to you guys. I mean, I preached that same stuff Beth was telling me. And all of a sudden, Aaron got mad at Pastor Aaron. Because <laughs> I was like, I want to be worried. I want to be mad. I want to be outraged. I, I want to be, uh, I want to I enter the chaos. Because it, it, it made me feel like I was doing something about it. By the way, I had not prayed about it before that conversation. There, there may be something about that too, Right. I sat on my couch and I, I just kind of breathed in the truth Beth spoke over me. And I didn't, even though I did not want to agree with her, I knew she was right. And the clouds she discerned lifted. And, and we had a nice evening. I, I want to call you to pace yourself in the kingdom of God. Pace yourself. Realize that We are going to be okay. God's going to take care of us. I was in this room in 2009. It was was one of the darkest times I ever remembered the the economic fear over our country. And we've kind of forgotten about that. The Lord Lord got us through. Pace yourself. Don't let current issues burn you out. And don't let this frantic belief that you have to control everything lead you to burnout. Don't believe the lie that spiritual burnout is admirable. Spiritual burnout reveals a lack of wisdom and experience. Somehow we think, I just got so burned out, like, oh, well, man, way to go. No, you were not wise or you weren't experienced. You can't do anything about not having experience. You just have to get experience. But if you're experienced and you keep keep remaking the same mistake, then you're unwise. You're not learning from your mistakes. We are in it for the long haul until the Lord comes again. 
Until then, steady on in the presence of the Lord, moving forward in a sustainable, non-anxious pace, trusting the timing and plans of the Lord, relax in the middle of the chaos. And that's what the Lord wants to speak to us today. Now let's pray together. So Father, I, I believe that you, you've spoken a lot of truth today. And Lord, I, I thank you, God, that the coming days for moments of joy, moments of laughter, um, it's a, it is a sober time, it's a serious time. So we, we need to laugh at the proper time. The heaviness of sin and evil is too much for us to bear as human beings. But Lord, you didn't cause us to call us to carry this burden alone. There's an easiness and there's a lightness in the way of Jesus. And I thank you, God, that we're not unaware, we're not uncaring, but Lord, we're also trusting. We're trusting your timing, we're trusting your plan. We're trusting God that, that we're gonna be okay under your leadership and under your hand.